It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today we have, I'm going to say it, here we go, Robbie, another special guest. <laughs> uh, uh, Michael reached out to us and asked to come on the podcast to share her, um, I'm going to butcher this, but to share her doctorate. Um, uh, Michael, just go ahead and tell us what you're doing <laughs> before I butcher anything. <laughs> well, I basically just want to find out how what makes trail runners tick. So that's, that's the layman's terms. If you want to get really nerdy, I want to create a theoretical model showing the gendered process that women and men trail runners respectively use to build self-efficacy and empowerment and how they transfer those constructs into other life areas. Yeah, see, I would have butchered that. <laughs> <laughs> I was not the person to introduce you, I promise. So <laughs> you did great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got your name right. That's that's uh that's a yeah. huge step in the in the right direction. So yeah. Well, let's let's back up a little bit. Um how how did we get into all of this? So how did you how, what what made what made you tick to to want to study ultra runners and trail runners? Yeah, yeah well. I was thinking about that my whole, when I started running career, um, I remember like my first exposure to running was probably in ninth grade when, you know, you're trying to figure out which group you belong to. You you're new in high school, trying to figure out, find your people. And so I thought, I want to try track and field. And I did it for about a week. And the last day of, of after school training, the, the coach had us jump over hurdles but with both of our feet, like not one foot and then the, then the other, just both feet at the same time. And I got to the very last hurdle and and just tripped and hit hit it and tripped and fell. And so my foot and then the hurdle and then me and my ankle spilled up to like a balloon immediately. And my very first thought was, well, I'm not a runner. And that was it. Like I went to theater and drama, <laughs> but I'm not a runner. <laughs> and so that was my mentality. My whole life was, oh, I'm not a runner. Um, and I, before I had kids, I did a couple of sprint triathlons, but yeah, I think that's like a 5k and a sprint triathlon. And that was like a long run for me at the time. And I had started swimming just as exercise. So I did the swim in like eight minutes and then the bike and the run was like the next hour 20. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It hurt. (laughs) And then after I had my boys in my, uh, I was mid thirties and a friend and I started working out together and we, you know, work out and go on runs with our babies in the strollers. And, um, and I think I had a three-year-old and then my baby was like 10 months old. My husband was training for a marathon. He's like, you should train with me. We should do this together. I'm like, are you crazy? I can barely <laughs> do a 5k. We have a two-year-old I'm nursing. When is this going to happen? I thought it was nuts, but I'm not one to back down from a challenge. I felt like a gauntlet had been like thrown. And so I was like, okay, yeah. I, maybe, maybe I can do a half. Maybe I can think about a half. And so I found a half that was happening later in the year. I found like the couch to half training guide and um, spent the next five to six months building up my mileage and training. Um, and it was just road, um, not trails yet. And I will always remember my first five mile run. I will always remember my, remember my first seven mile run because I think up to that point mentally, you're like, okay, I have to run this many miles and then double that 
you know, for, to make the half mileage. Yeah. So, I, and I think at seven miles is like just a mental thing. I don't have to run double this anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I always remember that run. Um, and so from that point on, I just like, after the half, I think I spent the next two weeks hobbling around. I was so sore, you know, held the door frame to like go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, like, <Lord. laughs> it, was, it hurt. Yeah. I was hooked. And so from then I, I ran two halves, um, every year. That was just, you know, my thing. And I did that for a few years. And then a friend invited me to, um, be on their Ragnar trail team. And that was my first time ever even, you know, thinking about running trails. And uh, from that, like I was hooked after that. We did that one trail event, a Ragnar trail event, and it was it was so fun. Um, I done a, a Ragnar road event, and that was really stressful because you're leapfrogging the runners. But mm -hmm. with this trail event, you kind of camp at the central site and do loops, and and it was just it was gorgeous, and it's it was completely different from road running for me. What do you think um, it was that that kind of made that feeling? happen as opposed to like running on the road for a couple years and then doing your first trail run like what was what was it that that just went off that that was it yeah I, I thought about that a lot I think um I think a lot of it really is is being so close to the earth and nature um you are surrounded by what the more you the more you run in that environment the more it becomes your your grounding place your your home and you feel centered there um, so for me, I think, I think that was a, a lot of the draw. Uh, it was really hard, you know, your first trail run, like it's, it's hard. <laughs> I remember my yeah. very first trail, the trail run, like training for this event and like my toes hurt my ankle, like everything just hurt all these little, the tiny, you know, stabilizers that I hadn't worked on at all. It was, it hurt and it was hard. And I think that was part of the draw too, is doing something hard, um, hitting what you think, also, I think looking back now, it's for me, it's completely changed my mental landscape. I feel like it's you hit what you think is your limit or what you have defined as your limit. And then you push beyond it, whether that's distance on a trail or terrain or elevation. Um, and then all of a sudden it's redefined. Your limit is redefined and you're constantly redefining your limits. Um, and, and I think for me, trails do that more, more than road. I mean, I, I know road has its own respective, you know, times or pace or BQ, you know, qualifier. And um, so I, I think that they're different, um, I don't know, different platforms, I guess, um, of, of just depending on what you want to tap into. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I think tra trails have just kind of reached a place in me that, that have been, have been really transformative. Yeah. Where, where did you go from there? So after your first Ragnar, did you jump, you know, into a trail half, a trail marathon? Did you, did you get dirty and go straight to an ultra? Or? <laughs> no, I did not. I'm a very cautious, practical person. <laughs> I like, okay. So the, the Ragnar was like the total distance was a half marathon, but it's broken okay. up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's not ultra at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, there is an ultra team and I'm going to train for that and do it next year. Um, and so I, and I'd never run a marathon, a road marathon. And so I spent that year, I ran two trail marathons and then started training for this ultra Ragnar. Um, so that was my first, first exposure to an ultra thing. Um, <clears throat> but then from there I, I went and did 50 Ks 
and I and I've hung out in the 50k range for a number of years. I, I think I've been trail running now for five years. And so yesterday actually is my very first ultra. <laughs> I ran the the dead horse 50 miler. In oh, Moab. awesome! Congrats. Yeah, nice. thank you. How yeah. did that go? Um, it was really great. It was really cool. Um, every race I have like an A goal, a B goal, and a C goal. And sometimes they're time goals and sometimes they're other, other goals. Um, and so this race, I did not meet my finish, not in the dark, A goal. <laughs> but I feel like I experienced so many other things throughout the day that made me feel really proud of myself and how far I, I've come. That to me, it was an awesome, awesome day, an awesome race. That sounds like a win to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was my very first like straight through ultra. Yeah. <laughs> a 50 miler. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a pretty insane one to jump right into a 50 miler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've never done a hundred. I I'm looking at you guys like, oh boy. It took me like five years to get to a fifty. So it's gonna take me at least another, I don't know, 10, 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Next year she'll be at a, she'll be signing up for a hundred next year. Well, you know, I just double it, right? That's what you said. I was going to say, give it a few days, and you'll probably be on ultra. Yeah, you'll be on ultra sign up. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. So, do you ever go back to the the road world, or do you stay trail the whole time? Uh, I I do run roads just because it's faster and closer there's a paved trail right by my house and so when i that's what i have time to run that's what i do run on but i haven't run a road event in a number okay. of years yeah i've just okay. run it's crazy yeah. how uh once you once you come over to the dark side <laughs> you just end up yes. staying on the dark side and that's what everyone says <laughs> yeah now are you are you in uh utah is that where you're yes okay yeah yeah, I live here. Yeah. So you have I grew up uh, in the DC area, but I've okay. lived in Utah for a number of years. So you have some awesome trails to run on then. Yeah, it is. It's great. I, in fact, I think that's one of the things. So I, I, I think I lived in Utah for a good seven years, maybe longer before I was like, okay, fine. I don't hate Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that did it for me was the mountains and yeah. the trails and just exploring them and finding them. And yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's jump into your um, your doctorate. Yeah. Why don't you uh, Why don't you explain what everything is and uh, you know what you're doing? Yeah. So, I started my PhD in 2020. Like all. That's good a good things. time to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great time started to start PhD. things. Like everyone in the world, like started the sourdough starter and a PhD. Why not? <laughs> And I entered the program knowing what I wanted to do for my dissertation. I, I knew I wanted to study how trail running empowered women. At the time, I was just focused on women. Um, because at that time, I had so many conversations with my girlfriends running that this is a medium that makes us all feel so empowered and so like, oh, if I if I can finish this in my life, and I know I can do this other thing in my life, or, or I know I can, this is the hard thing I choose to do, then I know I can do other hard things that maybe come along in life that I didn't choose. And so we have all these conversations about hard things in life and how empowering trail running makes us feel. I remember having one conversation with uh, one of the guy friends I was running with and he said, well, I feel empowered too. And I don't doubt that at all. Like he, he went on to tell me some really transformative experiences. And 
how trail running had had been influential in his life. Um, but I do think men and women learn things differently, process things differently, feel things, you know, think about things differently and apply things differently. And so I think that there could be a gendered process here. Um, and so I went into this program thinking I was gonna just study women. Um, and, and with conversations with friends, it kind of changed to, well, why not look at both men and women? Um, and then when you are working on a PhD, you have to do all this huge background research and present like a new idea. <laughs> you can't copy someone else's work. Yeah. You present like this very, you know, small niche thing. <laughs> and so you have to do this huge research and fi to find out what the existing literature already says about your topic. And so as I'm doing this, all this research, it's very clear that there's a lot out there that already talk about women and being empowered through physical activity and specifically running. Um, there's a ton of research about motivations and empowerment outcomes or confidence boosters. And, you know, there are groups for women who run or girls who run. Um, there are groups that that work with homeless women and provide them running kits and prep them for a 5K and what and, look, and then look at the outcome of how they feel empowered in their life and then make changes or, you know, make different choices in their life. Um, or there are groups of women, domestic violence, abuse survivors. And so there's all these angles of how running impacts and empowers women. And you can, you can Google, <laughs> um, it doesn't even have to be a scholarly, you know, article, just Google, how does running impact and empower women? And all this stuff will show up. And you can't find something of equal measure when you Google what empowers men in running. And so that, so that was one idea of, okay, well, I know men and women can be empowered by this thing. How is it documented? Um, and then the other thing was diving into the psychological constructs themselves of self-efficacy or the confidence you feel to you know, carry something out and then empowerment. So looking at what, what actually builds these things in your life. Um, I thought, well, maybe, maybe men and women define self-efficacy and empowerment differently. Maybe they feel it differently in their lives. Maybe they transfer or apply it differently in their lives. So all these questions start happening. And, um, and I thought, well, what if, what if I could create this, this model or this framework showing this, this process of how someone goes from what exactly within the context of trail running, what, how does this build someone's sense of confidence or the self-efficacy and within self-efficacy, there are actually two, two elements that are internal that build your self-efficacy like from the inside, um, their performance experience and emotional arousal. So performance experiences, when you do something, you're actually experiencing it. How does that make you feel like to accomplish something and to do it? Yeah. And then, then the emotions are, you know, what do you feel when you're doing it? And then there are two external constructs that build your self-efficacy. Um, someone's verbal or social persuasion, usually, you know, friends calling you into, hey, let's go do this together, which is big in the trail world <laughs> community. Usually people are called in from another friend. Yeah, so um, I, I, I understand that, you know, yeah, I have people that ask me all the time, like, why do you, why do you run hundred milers or why do you run those long distances? And it's, 
And it's so hard to explain to someone the overwhelming feeling when you cross that finish line, and you get a buckle in your hand. And it's like, I, I don't, I, I can't explain it. I, I don't understand yeah. it, but it's a high that honestly you chase. Right. And you know, it's like, and I, I have no idea, but for me, it's one of the things like I, there is such a small percentage of people that have done what I've done. And like within our niche, I know, a, I know hundreds of ultra runners and hundred milers, you know, but there's only hundreds of us, you know, there's thousands of us, I guess, but like within the grand scheme of things, it's like 0.00001% of the population has run a hundred miler and has, you know, had a buckle handed to them. And so I don't yeah. know, maybe, maybe that's what drives me. It's like, it's such a, I'm in such a small percentage of people. And I think that's really cool, but that overwhelming feeling it's just so hard to explain and so I'm I'm right there with you with what you're saying it's yeah so and so maybe maybe that's part of what I'm trying to do is we can't put this into words but maybe I'm going to that's what I'm going to try and do yeah so there's these internal and external constructs that build your self-efficacy there are internal and external constructs that build your empowerment and then there are this is all according to the you know research that's already been done there's theories of self-efficacy a theory of empowerment and then these transfer mechanisms that people employ to, when you say transfer, it's okay, I learned something in one context and transfer is how do you apply it in another context? And so, so I'm going to try and put words to that buckle feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Crossing the <finish> line. <laughs> um, and I, and, and I think it started with just personally, I felt that transformative experience myself. Um, I grew up in a home with a number of three divorces before I turned 12 and it was just a lot of toxic dynamics and, and arguing and instability. And, um, and that impacts you, impacts how you think about yourself, what you feel like you're worth pursuing. Um, and I felt those impacts well into my adulthood. And I can identify when I started trail running, that was the moment where I felt like I felt grounded in myself and found my footing enough that I felt like I had a voice. And um, and it's interesting, like thinking back over this, these experiences, I, I can, I can give a number of examples, but one story, one story I will share is just because it's pertinent to education. Um, so I, I never thought I was good enough or smart enough for higher education and for college. Like that was never on my outlook. I didn't think I was ever going to go to college. And my goal in life was to, um, you know, my life map, my plan was to just become an expat traveling Europe with my sketchbook and be like an artist or something in Europe. And um, so after high school, that's what I did. I went to Italy for a bit, just like nannied and taught Italian or taught English and learned Italian. And <laughs> um, and before I left, I actually didn't even take the SATs my junior year of high school because I was planning on joining this traveling theatrical group, which now sounds like the circus. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> There's this group called Up With People, but I, that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to travel and do theater and do art. And um, So when I was in Italy, actually, I took the SATs over there on base. I thought, you know, this base of family that I had nannied for and um, he was working with NATO at the time. And so I went on to the base where their kids were at school and took the SATs there and applied to colleges after I got home. And so I was like an older returning student when I went to college the first time. <laughs> 
I tried one semester. I thought, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> I did some other things in life and then came back and tried another semester. And during that second semester, so I, that second semester, I then had graduated from high school, I think seven years before this semester. I had life experiences. I had lived in two different countries and spoke those languages. I trained as an MA. You know, I had like life experience, but I was sitting in this chem one class and I could not do what the professor's asking. I didn't understand it. Um, turns out there's a lot of math involved with chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not get it at all. And so I went to his office to ask for help. And, and he sat me down and asked me to do this equation. And I just stared at it. I was like, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know what to do. This is why I'm here asking for help. And he just looked at me, he goes, you have global issues. And, and looking back as an older adult, I think he just meant as missing foundational knowledge that would have helped, you know, understanding the material, which he was right. But phrasing it the way he did just destroyed any sense of self-esteem I had like tried to piece together at that point in my life. And like, I, I had done things in my life at that point, but it's still like just hearing that one phrase from one college professor was like, oh, he's right. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough for this. And I left his office in tears. I went to the registrar's office right then and I dropped out. I'm not good enough or smart enough for this. And it took me, you know, I finally went back and it took me 10 years to finish my bachelor's. <laughs> Um, hey, nothing wrong with that. I, it took me 11. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now it's, you know, I, I got a PhD program and I, I did biostats in a PhD program. And this is all for me has been transformative due to pushing my limits and understanding that, that limits can be flexible, redefinable things. And it, to me, that, that's what trail running has taught me and, and transformed my thinking, my mental landscape. Um, and I know it's impacted other people the same way. This isn't yeah, I was, just. To I was me. just going to ask, did, you know, has running and ultra running given you that, you know, that kind of thing? Like, well, I, it, you know, if I could push myself to run 31, 50 miles, I can do this. And Definitely. I think that, I think that all the time. And it's like, yeah. I, I can handle this. I've, you know, I've been out there for, 30 plus hours like <laughs> yeah you could trick your mind to do some crazy things yeah yeah um so i i think yeah so with with my doctorate now or with my with my dissertation what i'm looking at is um i'm doing what's called a mixed methods so you have both a quantitative like the boring numbers statistics side and then the qualitative which is the really fun talking with people side of research and so my survey will have ask demographic questions and um and then it has one section where i have the cdc the ace test which is the adverse childhood experiences um questionnaire through the cdc and so that will i'm using that as kind of a measure to say you know is there a relationship between the way someone grew their childhood environment um and and self and their feelings of self-efficacy and so there's a test you can run, you know, a relationship test to find it, if there is a relationship between these two things. And then I'm having people take um, a self-efficacy test and I'm going to try and have them self-rate how they felt about themselves, put them in their mindset before they started trail running and respond to those questions. And then, and then after they had been trail running 
and see if there's a relationship there too, of, of, of kind of pre and post trail running life <laughs> to see if there's a difference there. Um, and that happened from one of my early, um, one of my first qualitative interviewing classes that I took. Um, this is back when I was still thinking I would, I would just work with how trail running had empowered women. And so I was interviewing four women and um, I hadn't included the self-efficacy questions on my survey yet. I was just running through them with the interview participants. And one, one woman said, you know, how do you ask me these questions before I started trail running? I would have answered them completely differently. And, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I don't think that's just me. I don't think that's just her. I think there's a lot of people that could say, oh yeah, I can identify. Um, and I think that's a big ask in research. Everyone on my committee is like, yeah, but life happens or age, or, you know, you just get older, like experience, there are so many life experiences. How can you pin it all in one thing? Um, trail running, it's <laughs> been so transformative. I was like, I know, but it is, trust me. <laughs> if you're not a trail runner, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so why do you, uh, what's your opinion, why there isn't very much uh, data on men and an empowerment through running? Yeah, that's so interesting. Cause there are, there are things of, you know, biological differences comparing men and women, obviously, you know, testosterone or muscles or muscle density or whatever. Um, there are, there's research on motivations. And so they, they do report the differences between genders there. Uh, men usually have um, more motivation or they're more motivated by um, competition-based reasons or masculinity confirming reasons <laughs> to run. Um, you know, kind of these, these outward performance kind of things. Uh, and, and women are more, usually more motivated by um, the opportunity to kind of put their, their life or their titles that they hold on a shelf for a moment and just have me time, you know? Um, and one way or the other, it's it's not better or worse than the other. Um, but my point is, I wanna say, my background's in public health. And so if you can pinpoint and say, all right, this is, if we have the theoretical model showing the gendered process of how men are build their self-efficacy and are empowered and how women build their self-efficacy and are empowered. Maybe we can then take that model and apply it in public health scenarios. So, okay, here's this behavior intervention where someone wants to improve their lifestyle, become healthier in some way. Does your intervention have elements that would engage an individual on, on where they're at that would make them feel like they're being built up according to their needs. Um, is there a gendered process that would help them feel like, yeah, this is this is making me feel more empowered. I want to maintain this lifestyle. Would it result in longer lasting behavior change? I don't know, I, I think it could. Um, but yeah, in all the literature, I haven't run across anything that says, hey, this is how men build themselves. <laughs> this is how women build themselves. Um, so that's something I'd like to explore with this. I think there's a there's a there's a stigma around mental health and men, men seeking mental health, and I, I, and the community is getting a lot better with it. But 
I think that a lot of people, men particularly, probably, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking out of tongue here, but I think that a lot of people use men particularly use running maybe as a therapy and just because the the stigma of a man going to therapy shows him as a weaker individual and mm. I, you know, I i i i don't i don't know i mean i just that's kind of the the thought process when we we're talking about all this and you know it got me got me thinking a little bit but i mean that could definitely like yeah you know that could be something that they're using it as therapy as opposed to oh definitely seeking therapy and so i, I don't know but yeah, I was yeah, kind of thinking I, along those, those same lines that you, Justin, because, um, you know, it feels like men are supposed to be the providers and everything else, you know, what society has made us into. <clears throat> and, you know, women kind of didn't have power uh, in the beginning of our society, and they were always working to build up their power. And I think a lot of the times where a lot of the research just goes to how did women get empowered throughout the years and men have just kind of been left on this Island uh, because we're already, you know, our, our end goal is kind of already set for men per se, per society, uh, go to work, uh, provide for the family, all that stuff. Whereas kind of on the women's side, they've been kind of just left a little empty. Just kind of my, my opinion where they now they have the power and now they can go out and show what they can do, which to me, you know, we're all, we're just people in the end. Um, but it's just kind of interesting where, how now, if we do talk about men and empowerment and all that, it just becomes male masculinity and all that kind of stuff where society's kind of taken us. So I'm super interested to see where you, your outcome yeah. with this. I am too. I, I ran across um, some research, just this feminist thinking that there's a lot of different lines of feminist thinking, but um, one researcher I found that said, if you only present one perspective and say, well, feminist voice is just a woman's voice and you don't present the men's perspective, you're not going to have a, a true full um, story. And if you only present one side, it's not really true feminism <laughs> or through any line of thinking like you need to have that critical thinking on both sides and so I, I would love to I want to tell the story on both sides um so yeah so I'm, I'm like with my dissertation then I'll have that qu the quantitative survey side um and then on the survey you'll have the option to provide your contact information if you want to uh, follow up with an interview and during the interview that's kind of more of an in-depth um, I've created this list of questions to go through with you and kind of like what we're doing here, just kind of you know, going through questions and what interested you, what, and just try and dig deeper and get people's stories. Uh, Cause I, I think the stories are what, what reach people and, and, pu and pull more people in. And, um, and so when you do qualitative analysis, what you're looking for is how people describe their experience with a particular phenomenon that you're looking at. So within within the phenomenon of trail and ultra running, what have your experiences been with that? Um, you know, what, what makes you tick? <laughs> and so then you have, you know, 30 to 60 interviews of all these different people. Um, and then you try and pull out patterns and themes of, of similarities that you find. And I think that you can, I, 
my guess is that there will be a very gendered theme. You know, men will will have certain experiences, women will have certain experiences, and they'll transfer them into their lives in very specific gendered ways. Um, and so if you can create that that model, that theoretical model, then you could take that to other, do, you know, compare between sports or compare in public health arenas or at other places. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for the interview side because it, it will tell more of that interpersonal story. Um, you know, how, how someone built themselves or, or what are specific ways that they've felt, um, you know, drawn to trail running and what it's done for them. Or um, again, looking at the ACEs, what, what was their home life experience and, and did trail running do anything for them in that arena um, to change their, their decisions or their interactions with family or themselves, uh, you know, a change of, of self idea of self-worth or self uh, self-esteem. In your research say. so far, have you noticed um, a, a different story with race in trail running? It seems, well, it doesn't seem, but running is definitely a very, trail running is definitely a very white sport. Yes. And, and obviously a male dominant white <laughs> sport. Um, but have you noticed any within your research thus far of, uh, you know, uh, with the, the, with race being a, uh, uh, a different outcome or are you noticing kind of a similar pattern? Well, yes. Like you said, trail running is a very white sport. Um, to engage in it, you have to have a certain amount of income. You have to have access to trails, you know, a way to get to the trails. Oh, I say um, it all the time. It's a very privileged sport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my very small, you know, world of the few interaction or class projects I've done up to this point. Um, no, that my interview pool has been very white. <laughs> um, there've been maybe two Hispanics, um, but not that I've interviewed, they just responded to my survey. Okay. So my, my, my experience is very limited. Um, but I know of, of other researchers out there who do look at, at, um, what does it mean to be, you know, a black runner? Um, do they have access if they're living in inner cities <laughs> um, or these social constraints or, um, you know, systemic or systematic ways to keep, to keep certain peoples confined in certain ways in our society. Um, so yeah, is trauma even accessible for them? Yeah. There are the people who've written great, great books and great research. Um, I run across just a handful and just a couple lines are it's not a huge black person sport. Um, there are more Hispanics than blacks who trail run, but it is predominantly a white privileged sport. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to the sports psychologist and they were, uh, they were talking about trail ultra, uh, I can't talk trail ultra marathoners. And some of the research they were talking about is, the most of the people they've interviewed that run trail ultras have had trauma in their life, majority in their childhood. Um, and they were talking about kind of why, why they do it. But the one thing that stuck out to me and they said was that every time they've crossed the finish line, they've beat that trauma again. So they're yeah. chasing that beating that trauma by going out and running these, you know, longer races out on the trails 
that didn't talk too much about road racers. It was all really just trail ultra marathoners. And I, I thought that was really fascinating because uh, a lot of people that I've met that are on the trails of that trauma, especially in their childhood. Um, and it seems like a perfect outlet to, uh, I wouldn't say overcome it, but to get out there and just kind of deal with it, especially in the yeah. longer ones when you're out there all by yourself and <laughs> you only got you and your brain to talk to. So, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a place to process things. That's, that's an interesting way to think about that because you're not literally dealing with something. You're not literally like going back in time and dealing with your childhood, but, but it's the time and place where you are processing your emotions. You're thinking about things and, and processing what it means to you. Um, I, I've seen that recently too, that I've seen people posting on Instagram, just that the ultra runners all have like this trauma thing and, and research shows that there's a huge link between trauma and ultra runners. I'm like, who are they quoting? I want to know this research and work with them. because <laughs> I tried to, I tried to research that angle and I couldn't find really a lot out there. Um, I have found since a, a couple articles or other dissertations that were done. Um, but yeah, so that's another thing I want to try and establish. Is there a relationship? Is there a link between the ACEs, your childhood environment, and what you choose to do um, in terms of ultra running? So that, that will come out more in the interviews too. There are kind of more in-depth questions um, with that. But yeah, I, I think that's super interesting. Um, one thing that drew me to the ACEs was, so the original researcher, his name was Filetti, and he published his article in the late 90s. Um, this is before the CDC even picked up on the ACEs. And so Filetti was working with this group of white, middle-class, college-educated women who were trying to lose weight, and they couldn't lose weight. Or if they lost it, it would just come back. And so he started talking, just talking to them, interviewing them. And he found one common theme between all the women that they had endured some sort of physical or sexual abuse or trauma in their childhood. And so this is white, middle-class, college-educated women in California that he was working with. And he took that and created the ACEs questionnaire that we have today. And now we have, you know, the CDC is taking it over. It's this huge preventive health measure where we know if you score between zero and three, four to seven or eight or more on the ACE questionnaire. We know exactly which long-term health outcomes, negative ones you might deal with later in life, mm -hmm. um, which I think is amazing. <laughs> Based on your childhood environment, we can now say, hey, these are the things that we need to watch out for. Um, there's this amazing, I ran across uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, ran across her TED-Ed a few years ago when I was working on my master's. Um, at the time, she was working as a pediatrician in San Francisco. I believe she's the attorney general now of California. Um, but she has an amazing TED-Ed talk where, um, sorry, TED talk. My kids watched TED-Ed, <laughs> like cute little <laughs> educational videos for, for kids. I was, I was, I was, like, I was like, I have never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> TED talk. <laughs> um, where at the time, she was working as a pediatrician and she ran across Liddy's uh, study and decided to incorporate the ACE questionnaire during her well child checks in her pediatrics uh, practice. And so based on how the parents are responding to the current childhood environment for their children, she would then you know, tally up the score and then create these interdisciplinary preventive health teams for the kids 
to prevent these negative long-term health outcomes, which is amazing. Um, and so, so I think, okay, there's all this, you know, focus on preventive health measures, but what if someone's already grown up? What if you're already in your forties or fifties or, you know, how old, how are you dealing with what happened when you were a kid? How are you dealing? How are you processing those things? And so that's kind of another angle I want to take. Um, my community is like, we want you to graduate, focus on one thing. <laughs> so for this time, I'm just doing this little, you know, theoretical model, looking at self-efficacy empowerment. But part of my survey does include ACE things because I that'll set me up for future research to, to kind of jump more into that world of, okay, what what does ultra running do for you to process your childhood years from zero to 18, how you grew up, how that, how that, you know, changed your neural pathways, how you started thinking about things, how, how, how you attach to people or things. Um, so I, I think, I think there are just so many different ways that you could look at ultra running and what it does for people, how it makes them tick, how it helps them process things, how, not just the health benefits, but mental and heart benefits too, you know? Mm -hmm. I was a, talking with this guy in this group that I'm a part of. Uh, it's an addiction group. And I was asking him, why do some people just have a hard time struggling with addiction? They know they want to quit. They know this is impacting their life and all this other stuff. And I said, you know, when some of the decisions I've made have been very simple and I've stuck to them. And his response, and this this person's not a runner, goes, you've been out on the trails for multiple hours in a day. You've been through the lows and the highs, and you've had to work through all that all by yourself. I was like, yeah. He's like, you can figure stuff out by your trail running. These mm -hmm. people that don't have trail running, they can't figure anything out on their own. And I was like, taken back by that and I started thinking about it and we got deeper yeah. into the conversation and uh, I was just like you know you're right like you know anywhere from 50k 50 mile or 100k 100 mile there's going to be low time there's going to be high times but you have to keep moving forward to get to the finish line and a lot of times with these people with addiction they don't have a finish line yeah. it's like an infinite line you know because they can't even they can't even make it a day without their addiction being a problem and it's really hard for people in addiction to have a finish line right because there's never a finish line with trying yeah. to beat addiction and I, I just kept thinking about that and we kept having the discussion and it goes it's easy for you because you already know what it feels like mm -hmm. you know and I was I was like yeah I can see that and it just kind of got me thinking of like how to help people with addiction try to, you know, just keep forward progress as we do with trail running is you have to move forward. You can't move backwards to get to the finish line. It may take you longer than you want, but it's all part of the journey and the process. And it's really hard for people in addiction not to have any of those little things. Um, so, you know, just this conversation that we're having, just kind of spark that up because thinking about you know what trail running's done for me and and where I'm at now with my age is you know I can do a lot of stuff on my own. I know mm -hmm. if I just keep moving forward, <laughs> I'll finally get there. 
<laughs> it may not be how I like it or I want it, but I'll get there. So it's just, uh, yeah. just kind of brought that up. Yeah. There, there's an organization, um, Addict, Addicts to Athletes. There's a chapter in, in my, my town and it's yeah, all these people who, who had dealt with addiction and they have now turned to running. Um, and some just do road runs, but some, most are ultra trail runners. And so it's, again, it's this interesting connection between, you know, doing something negative, um, just out of compulsion or the need to quiet things else, you know, in your head or whatever, whatever the, the draw is for, um, for the addiction, but then replacing it with, with running instead. Um, and there's something healing about that. It's like you said, it's a place where you are processing, you are healing. It's not like an actively, okay, I'm going to go to a therapy session and talk with a therapist, but it, it's an active form of healing. Um, and yeah, like what if you aren't a trail runner? Can't we, can't we maybe bring something to those people who don't have access to, to trails or to, you know, self help or self self therapy on the trail therapy, um, <laughs> if we can identify what these elements are that are healing and that build someone up and empower them, then we can bring that to, to everyone, not just trail runners. Um, so I, I think that would be, that'd be neat too. Um, yeah, I, I think our, our generation is doing a great thing. Um, just talking, being so much more open about mental health and talking about mental health and saying therapy is okay. <laughs> um, I, I think I think our generation is really trying to nail it on the head that, you know, this is okay to do, this is okay to talk about, and we're going to be open about things. So that helps us feel like more like we're in a community, like we're part of something. But th I think trail running does that too. Um, it, it provides this community where you feel like you're not alone, even though there are, there are races or distances where you are very much alone on the trail. Um, I think you know you're part of this community and everyone else is alone on the trail with you somewhere. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of a motivator to keep, keep put you pushing and going forward because you know, others are out there too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's part of the community and, uh, felt like you're, you're someone, something out there in nature. Uh, I think that's a big part of it too. Um, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of people don't have that, unfortunately. Yeah. What is your end goal with this research? Obviously, to you know, get your doctorate. But um, is it going to be published? Are you going to write a book on on everything, or where you where do you see yourself taking this research? I have not thought beyond graduating next August. <laughs> that is my end goal right now. I'm already done. Um, so yeah, my goal is to graduate next August. <laughs> But after that, I, I think, I mean, I, I've set this up in a way that I will have a lot more future research um, ideas. But yeah, that, the idea is to publish um, in, in literature, you know, the, the nerdy literature. But I think it'd be really fun to, to do a book too. And, and maybe, maybe do a book of, of the people I interview. I, I think there are just so many great stories out there. And that's really what, what connects people. If you can tell a story that draws someone in, but that also makes them feel like they're of worth. The person reading the story is like, oh, I, I identified with this completely. Yeah. I know what you mean here. Like I've been, you know, drawn to tears through some stories that I've read. Um, 
running stories. Uh, and it's, or, you know, get the whole goosebumps feeling or like stories reach people in a way that make them feel seen and like they identify with someone and that they're a part of something. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be really cool if I could, could create a book. I mean, I, like I said before, I'm a very practical person. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm over here putting her on the spot, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> One step at a time. I, I've not thought through those logistics. I don't know about a book yet. <laughs> Coming out next August, the book. <laughs> <laughs> I need to think about that one for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd be awesome to to get to get hands on and kind of see like what makes them tick. Yeah, so. yeah, I think so. Well, let's jump back into you a little bit. Uh, you just ran your fifty k. What kind of gear were you using? Um, oh, I'm sorry, you just ran a fifty, 50 mile. Miler. Fifty mile. I'm sorry, fifty, 50 mile. Okay, Justin, come on. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Robin of nineteen miles. I'm having trouble walking today. It was a fifty miler. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah. So gear. I have been using Speedgoat Hoka's Hoka Speedgoats for since they were the twos. Now it's the fives. I think. Um, so I wore those yesterday and they were great. Um, they are a newer pair. I will say, and I've read, I've read reviews too. I don't want to say anything negative, but I've read reviews where I agree with, I feel like the quality has kind of gone down on the speed goats. I definitely feel a difference between the threes and fours and the fives. Um, like the last pair I had, they were shot. They were toast by like mile 250 in them. <laughs> I started having foot problems and it's like, okay, if they're foot problems, that's a shoe problem. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing that so, a lot in shoes. I, I had a pair yeah. go 220 the other day and my indicator is a little bit of a knee thing. And mm-hmm. I had the knee thing and then I was like, is it okay? So is it a knee thing or is it the shoes? Yeah. And so of course you do another run in it and then you're like, nope, nope, nope. That's yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah, they only had like 220. I was kind of upset, but yeah. But you know, hundred miles, but I know, I know. I feel like a lot of things are. We call them recession, recession <laughs> chocolate, recession shoes, <laughs> recession turkeys. <laughs> yeah, but the but they were. I I just got the new pair, so they were great yesterday on my run. Awesome. Um, and then I don't know. I usually just buy whatever's on sale. <laughs> you Perfect. Know? Like I I I like Ultimate Direction. Um, pack like running packs yeah um i i like i like ones that have you know front pockets that are easily accessible i have a lot of snacks you gotta pack and run with and Can access I have snacks. yeah <laughs> and just all the stuff you like running with and so i i like looking for packs that have a lot of good pockets and yeah that's cool yeah um what are they yeah i just kind of buy stuff that's on sale <laughs> <laughs> no brand loyalist other no, than uh, ultimate really. direction and hokas <laughs> yeah. I, I i like brooks the ghost series for road running yeah I, I yeah i love brooks for those um but trails i, I do more speed goat nice. or hokas nice. yeah well uh we always ask our guests someone that would be interesting to have on the podcast from your network and so uh it doesn't have to be anyone in, a, in the running world it can be uh, someone that you've gone to school with that has a cool story. I'm sure you have a lot of people that have had cool stories with all your interviews, but uh, who's someone yeah. that you would, uh, you would suggest? Yeah. You know, um, a good friend, a good friend of mine, um, Aaron Jensen, he's just a really nice, one of the most humble 
guys you'll ever run across. And he has a great story of a comeback from colon cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's just, he's a, a just a great person. And then just the story of, of going through it and recovery and battling it. And then, and he runs now with a permanent colostomy and just, just his story of how, how he does that. And he's still adventures every day. Yeah. He's a great guy to talk to. Yeah. That sounds, uh, that sounds like a really interesting story. You, and and that's what that's another thing that's just inspiring about the trail community and, and the ultra running community is like people like that. There's, you know, there's people that, you know, have lost limbs that are out there doing hundred miles. Like he runs with the the bag and, you know, and yeah. like that, that's just, that's so inspiring to me that people can do that. And I'm, I'm out here huffing and puffing on a 15 miler and crying. And then, then you look right. over and you're like, Oh, well this guy's doing it with this. And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I, yeah. I can't, I can't wait to read your book in a couple of years. When <laughs> we get all this data because it's, it's super interesting. Um, but tell people where they can find you. And um, I'm going to drop the the survey into the show notes. So if you're interested in filling oh, out the survey, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, also be linked on Instagram under um, Michael's advertisement. I never know what to call those things. The, the, the post, the, yeah, ad, the, like the podcast flyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'll, I'll put the survey in that and then I'll put the survey in the show notes. But um, if someone wants to reach out to you directly, how do they find you? Yeah. Um, so my handle on Instagram is beefcake Amazon woman. <laughs> I, I, well, actually we, we can't end the podcast yet. We have to hear the story on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so you know trail runners are a little bit they're more meat on them than road runners you've know, got to climb up yeah, mountains they're yeah, a little bit yeah, beefier yeah <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we like our twinkies and, yes, and like candy our corn <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i just i'll have to send you some photos i just think it's the funniest thing you you stand me next to any runner and i just i don't know like i look like i could just eat them for a snack standing next to them <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just this Amazon woman next to these darling little cute, delicious looking runners. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So, so yeah, my Instagram is beefcake Amazon woman or Michael Coombs, C-O-O-M-B-S. Um, and I have my survey link in my, in my I, Instagram bio as well. So awesome. you can access it there. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, look forward to, <laughs> to reading all about it when it comes out. I so appreciate your time. Thanks for letting me do this. It was really yeah, fun. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. You too.